welcome back and thanks for tuning in to Oil & Gas Onshore, where I am on a relentless pursuit to bring value, unity, and information to the energy industry one conversation at a time. So sit back, relax, and remember that even this very device you're listening on requires some form of hydrocarbon. This episode is brought to you by our new sponsor for the Oil & Gas Onshore podcast. A big shout out to Technip FMC, a company who truly represents the future of the oil and gas industry. Hey everyone, look, not only do you get awesome weekly content by listening, now you've got a chance to win some serious swag brought to you by Technip FMC. Each week, one lucky listener will win a bundle of gear, which includes everything I'm about to list. Seriously, everything. An audio duffel bag, a Yeti tumbler, an executive power bank power charger, a Columbia neck gator, and a set of Ace Pods 2.0, which are the true wireless Bluetooth earbuds. All you got to do is click the link in the show notes and enter your information to win. Simple. Now go get your swag on. Welcome to this week's episode. I'm here with Clinton Bonner, VP of Marketing at Topcoder. Clinton, pleasure to have you on the show, man. We actually met during OGGN's virtual conference, right? If I remember correctly. Yeah, that was great, right? Mark, Mark LaCour and team put on an uh, awesome, that was probably what, two and a half months ago now? Maybe yeah. something like that too. It, time's time. We're in this time circle here, right? This uh, <laughs> Groundhog day. Exactly. This, <laughs> That's this how space, I feel. space time continuum that just keeps on looping on us. But it was something like that. And Mark and team put on a great event and really brought together a lot of voices in the podcast world, in the oil and gas space specifically. It was awesome for us at Top Coder. Got to meet so many different podcasters out there and, and get exposure to your audience, which is really key. Yeah, excellent, man. No, and a huge shout out to Top Coder. I think you guys helped sponsor it. So yeah, it's just it's such a great community and what we've built here and, and bringing folks like yourselves in to be part of the community is, is certainly huge benefit to folks in oil and gas. How did you end up getting hooked up with Mark and OGGN? Yeah, yeah. Good little origin story there. So Top coder, like, uh, have to give a little context to make the story make sense. So bear with me for you know a minute or two here. But Top Coder is a community of developers and data scientists and designers. So like technologists, right? So lovable technology geeks who they want to code, they want to design, they want to go solve tough problems. So it's a global community. We've been at it since 2001, and every year since 2001, we've hosted a physical event. It'll be virtual this year. We'll get back to it, hopefully physical next year. But we've hosted a physical event called the Top Coder Open. So think of like, literally like Top Gun, where you've got your community of, let's say, all your pilots, in this case, all your developers and and such. And then we invite the best of the best from our community based on rankings and vetting and how they've competed and how they performed within the top coder community over the over that year and then they come compete on site for like the big ed mcmahon checks you know like thousands of dollars huge global sponsors and you know all the fanfare that goes with it so we make it this huge extravagant event because it's that awesome is so we, cool yeah we celebrate their talent so it's like the best developers against themselves the best designers the best algorithmists like best data scientists what? and then we we crown a, we crown a top coder champion they get the trophy they get the big check what yeah, yeah. So, so cool man <laughs> and, and then, yeah it's, it's it's super awesome right and again we've been doing this since 2001 so it's not nothing new but like we've just, where do you guys normally host that at so, well, that, that's how we get to Mark, right? So we go city to city. We don't really have like a host city. Okay, so we you bounce kinda, around. 
We do. And last year, 2019, we chose Houston. We chose Houston for, for a number of reasons, which might be you know, interesting to your audience just in general. But we chose Houston because number one, we work at that time and still are working with a couple of major oil and gas companies. And so we always kind of want to gravitate to where, where do we have a good amount of business going and where we see there's opportunity for, for more within that industry. And of course, Houston's also got you know, aerospace and Houston's got a, lo- a lot of different things going on there. And at the same time, Houston's been like, kind of like defamed a little bit in the sense that they are sometimes not seen as a big tech city, but they really ought to be and they really want to be. So, you know, so we, we partner with a couple of people within the Houston ecosystem who are like, yeah, bring that technology feel and all that good geekdom to Houston. So <laughs> nice. hitting the fast forward button a little bit, doing some research in the area. We ended up getting hooked up with Mark through one of our contacts who we, who we were working with at the time at Anadarko before they were acquired. And then Mark was awesome. Mark was like, I mean, talk about a, a dude that just like opens his arms like, yeah, man, come on in. Like, how do we help each other? Like, yeah, my network said, meet me network, Sue network. And that was it. He came and did some broadcasting from there. He invited a bunch of people from his community to come and a, a good chunk showed up. So that's how we got introduced to OGGN. It's been a very, you know, really, really good relationship so far for sure for both sides. No, that's so cool, man. And that's, you know, something common that everyone talks about with Mark is like, he's just so open and always willing to help, right? He's always, he's the type of guy that always just gives more than he takes and karma ends up treating him well. But nonetheless, no, that that's good background, man. And yeah, we, like you said, so we met at the virtual event that we did. And so I felt, you know, it was natural to get you guys on the podcast. So and for all the listeners out there, I'm assuming Clinton, this is not your first rodeo, bro. You got like the setup, you got the lighting, you got the fancy headphones. I mean, I feel like I'm a rookie sitting here with my setup, man. So I give it up to you, man. Do you do you podcast or do you like record things? Because you look like you got a setup, man. I do. Thanks, Justin. Yeah, no, no, I do. I do. So I, I'm a sucker for an origin story. I grew up, my dad owned a comic book store when I was 10 years old. So to say I'm a bit of a comic book geek is is an understatement. So I love a good a good tale. Yeah. But my venture, my pathway into podcasting was actually through the Seattle Seahawks. So like I'm no a, yeah, I know I know you mentioned earlier you're from BC originally. So you know you probably probably get quite a bit of Seahawks out there. Yeah. If you're from BC, you either cheer for the Cowboys because you don't know anything else or you cheer for <laughs> Seattle. And I and I was a little of both, man. I had Emmett Smith posers in my room. And then I had Seattle Seahawks gear from, you know, people that would travel and watch games and bring it back to me, man. So Very nice. Very <laughs> yeah, good. Makes, yeah. makes, makes perfect sense. So like, <laughs> yeah. My story makes less sense. I'm a New Yorker. I live in Connecticut now, but I'm a New Yorker. And I loved the Seahawks when I was a kid. I loved their helmet, loved their symbol. Yeah. And that was it. I kind of gravitated towards them. So the long and short of it is I ended up, you know, meeting some dudes from Montana who have an amazing Seahawks podcast called the Seahawkers Pod the Seahawkers podcast. And it's, it's my favorite one. There's a bunch out there now, but they've been doing theirs for six or seven years. Cool. And to me, they're kind of cream of the crop. And so long and short, I do a segment with them, a weekly segment every, every week where we do the kind of a unique recap. So that what? was the, the start of it. Yeah, it's fun. And then, you know, I, I do, I host a podcast for Top Coder that we call Upriser. So we're 11 episodes in and, you know, very, it's, also spelled U-P-R-I-S-O-R for anybody interested. Okay. But it's, we're focused on like future of work conversations. So like how do enterprises look at and then blend in the use of like on-demand talent, contingent chat, you know, contingent and freelance talent and all the permutations as to like, what does it mean for the enterprise? How do you do it at scale? How do you begin? You know, what are the success stories with, within there? Because more and more f- enterprises 
are looking heavily now at contingent workforces and freelance because, you know, the world was thrown a gigantic curveball. You know, it's been six months now or so, and it's everybody's suddenly remote. And it's like, wait a second. Yeah, we could all work like this, like you and I are talking right now. We could all work this way. Right. So it doesn't always have to be full timers when you got experts out there that can just come and kind of stream into work because they're damn good at what they do. And you could tap them when you want to tap them. So we, we really focus on that on the Upriser pod. But that's that's kind of why I got the whole setup here. Yeah, no, good for you, man. I think podcasting is, is such a, it's such a cool platform. It has so much potential and it's got its own community, even though like there's so many different categories of podcasts. I feel like there's such a big pie and I think there's, you know, it, there's plenty of opportunity. And even if you like have any bit of passion towards anything, I mean, starting a podcast is so easy nowadays to where I always encourage, I try and push people. Like if they even have a hunch about trying podcasts, I'm like, Literally, the ROI is awesome for like no capital. Like, it's silly if you don't. Now, let's back up even a little bit further. You say you're a big comic book guy, so like, I mean, tell us what's going down in the in in the comic world. I mean, we've got these new movies coming out. I mean, what's your favorite? What do you like? What you don't like compared to back in the day? I mean, film that. <laughs> yeah, sure. So you know, I do I do want to you know not not so much backtrack on it. However, it's more like my my comic comic book days, like when I would you know dive into the actual physical comics yeah. was when I when I was like you know. 10, 12, 13, 14. And with that, I've been, you know, I think there's this, of course, there's a whole like DC versus Marvel. I think kind of Marvel is, is for the most part, you know, put DC to shame in a lot of ways, except okay. for, I, I would take the caveat out and say, well, the Nolan Batmans. I mean, I know everybody says that, but they're freaking great. <laughs> you know, so, <laughs> yeah, bro. They're amazing. They might be better than any Marvel movie, right? So, yeah, but they're super awesome. But the part that the part that I find like most in, like intriguing is that I do feel that Marvel has routinely gotten the humor correct. You know, they, they didn't lose the comic in comic, you know, okay. like they, I mean, you look at Ant-Man, you look at Thor Ragnarok, like, you know, those kind of movies, right. they, have, they have enough camp there. They're, they're campy. They're definitely funny. They're obviously superhero movies and got awesome effects, but they are lighthearted versus, you know, the dark Knight returns. That's not exactly lighthearted, you know, so it's yeah. just a kind of a different strokes for different folks type feel, you know, so it's like if I want storytelling and grit, I'll probably go to, to the Nolan side and say, you know, the Batman trilogy is the best I've seen out there. But if I want pure entertainment, I think Thor Ragnarok is my favorite of, of the MCU universe because I just think it's beautiful, it's colorful, and it's, it's funny as heck. No way, dude. That's so cool, man. Growing up, what was your favorite character? Yeah, I loved Wolverine growing up, man. Like he was he was one of my one Savage. of my favorites. Yeah, you know, just you know, and I, I was always into the Todd McFarlane Spidey. So like once McFarlane got a hold of Spider-Man and because he created Venom, which then, you know, created Carnage. So like that whole storyline, super big into into like that element of Spider-Man. Spider-Man's been going on for so long that it's like I don't know all errors, but when I was collecting Todd McFarlane became like the guy. So I, I super, so I very much got into to the Venom storyline and the Spider-Man storyline. But overall, I think Wolverine just kind of like, and Logan, you know, yeah. the dude, just kind of my favorite, like kind of loner rebel. And then his whole backstory and the whole Weapon X story and, you know, him being, him just being an experiment, you know, and then his path into X-Men and then kind of finding a home and then becoming a leader. It's just 
that's that's some good storytelling. And I, I don't is. care. If, I don't care if it's a superhero or not. That's that's a human story. So yeah, good. no, they've done a fantastic job with him. And it's funny you mentioned Spider Man. So like growing up, I remember watching Spider Man. It was like the old school, like Spider Man. Oh yeah, Spider Man. Yeah. And so you know now with all these streaming services, I was able to go back. I don't know if it was like Prime or. I don't think it was Netflix. One of the like handful of streaming services that we have, I think it was Disney Plus. Anyway, I think it is Disney Plus. Yeah, yeah I so, so I like went back like in the books. And it was like in the 80s, I think. And so my son's two and a half or one and a half, sorry. And my daughter's turning five in about a month. And so I'm like, okay, you guys, like I got to bring you back to the good old days. And like, of course, <laughs> they're watching like this fancy, these fancy graphics, like PJ Masks type stuff where it's like, like visually compelling, you know, for kids. And then I threw on the old school, like, 2d old school spider-man and my daughter was just like dad what is this and i'm like no this is like this is where it starts like you have to start here and then progress and so but they've lost interest and so like i've tried putting on some spider-man some old school stuff that like for me i get geeked out watching it because it's like holy cow like i haven't seen this stuff since like you know like you turn the tv on and you just like wait for the one day a week that you can watch something heck yes and now they're just like flipping through things fast forward rewind i'm like god you guys are so spoiled man yeah so I, mean, funny. Just, I got kids i got a 12 year old and a nine-year-old that'll be 13 and 13 and 10 this fall so actually closer to that so daughter and son respectively they watch more youtube than anything like it's, right. not, even clo- it's not even close it's like 90 percent of their consumption is youtube and they're on youtube watching youtubers play video games like that's their jam you know i like, heard that's a thing man that's they wild. love it and i you know i get the personalities and some of them are super fun and at first i'm like really but then i'm like well that's you know they're and they game somewhat themselves, but they're not like huge gamers, but they love watching some of these folks go out and just narrate video games like Minecraft and Roblox and just all, all the different games that are like, you know, with millions of people playing across the globe. It's just, it, it's amazing. But, and then one thing I will say is as your kids get older, Teen Titans Go, if you've never seen that on Cartoon Network, it's kind of like Ren and Stimpy meets the Teen Titans. So you got Cyborg, you got Robin, you got, you know, okay. Sapphire. So it's, it's their, it's their cadre. Yeah. But it's, it's really funny because it's, it is super like Ren and Stimpy like where it's like a little bit gross, certainly over the top. Most times they're not fighting any sort of crime or villains. It's just crazy storytelling, yeah. but it's, but it's a lot of fun. So Teen Titans Go, once the kids are a little older is a high recommend for me. Noted, man. Noted. And one last thing before we move on is we're talking about comics and one thing that stands out to me and i don't know why i remember this but the first movie that i ever like got emotional and cried over was one of the batmans and i must have been maybe like four or five and at the end he's like he's standing on top of a building and his capes flapping in the wind and like until that point i don't think i'd ever cried over a movie and that was like the first emotional experience i had watching a movie and so like i don't know why i remember that but dude that kills me <laughs> like i probably just let a cat out of the bag and people are going to make fun of me but i don't even care man so like for me I guess like leading into what i was going to say is batman for me was like the one and only that like i just loved and so that son of a gun made me cry man it's crazy <laughs> yeah that's that's awesome i, I will i will make funny i too am an emotional wrecking ball sometimes yeah. <laughs> I get fired up, like you know. Our, yeah. our, we were playing. We actually had little, little, <laughs> we had little league this year, so we were able to play out in Connecticut, and we won the championship. And we're nice. giving like the post game speech, and I'm I like, these are like nine year old, ten year olds. Yeah. And I'm like starting to tear up, like trying to give them like because <laughs> I'm one, I'm one of the coaches. So yeah. like, I'm I'm just that type of dude where like if I'm in, I'm in. You know. Hey and, man, uh, that's 
Hey, that that's a good thing, bro. That's a strength for sure. So, all right. Well, hey, you know, we're going to obviously switch gears, everyone. Don't worry. But before <laughs> we get into the good stuff here, I want to highlight some fascinating technology provided by our sponsor, TechNip FMC. Their Fractal ecosystem leverages flexible pipe, automation, advanced digital technology to deliver greater operational efficiency, increased uptime, lower non-productive time, remote operations, access to automation, and real-time data logging are just few of the benefits. So click the link in the show notes to find out more or hit me up and I can point you in the right direction. So Clinton, you might've mentioned it. I think you said New York, man. Is that where you're from originally? Is that where you grew up? It is. I grew up in, so I grew up in Long Island. I was born in Queens. Cool. Yeah, but really grew up on Long Island. So spent my first 18 years there. Went to Yukon, which is kind of in the north, the north corridor of Connecticut, and just kind of stuck stuck in the, in the Northeast. I love all parts of America. Seen some of the world. Been throughout parts of Canada, not out to BC, which I which I need to I need to make that need to make that happen. But you know, I just yeah, I'm kind of just a. I'm just kind of a New Yorker by vibe, which means when I retire, I'll retire in Florida like all good New Yorkers. So Okay. <laughs> that's like Canadians retiring in Mexico, man. That's where you go. Yeah, yeah exactly. It. So when I think of New York, and I've been to New York once, and my wife and I went there for, it was right between, it was the weekend right after Thanksgiving. So like, and we stayed in Manhattan or like right downtown Times Square, of course, like where all the tourists go to stay. And man, talk about like an overwhelmingly exciting place to just be. And now granted, Long Island obviously is not downtown, you know, Manhattan, but I mean, you've probably been there. Like New York is such a cool vibe to it and just the grit and like the energy. I mean, my wife and I even joke around, like we would like love to spend it like whatever, like if given the opportunity, like go there for a year or two and work, whatever. I don't know what that looks like, but (laughs) what was it like growing up there? And and especially for me being Canadian, I mean, growing up Canadian is obviously a lot different than growing up in, in New York, but like what was it like growing up in around that area and at that time for that matter? Yeah. So, I mean, definitely busy, right? Just to give a little, you know, like Long Island is dense, you know, there's a lot, a lot of population out there. So just in general, in general, you're growing up in larger towns with a lot of, with a lot of everything around you that you possibly want, which is, which is kind of cool. And, you know, I didn't spend as a kid, kid, I didn't spend that much time in Manhattan. Frankly, there was, there was some different reasons. Like, you know, in the, in the eighties, when I was a kid, kid, you know, New York wasn't the best place to be. It was like, it was okay, but it was a little bit, a little bit dangerous, you know, a little bit like high, certainly high crime. It got cleaned up a lot in the nineties and early two thousands and became like a tech city, you know, really, really started to like rotate. It's of course, you know, wall street and, and finance. However, it really started to become like a technology hub. That's when things, that's what I feel things really changed for the better in terms of like who it attracted and what kind of talent wanted to go work there. And with that too, like, it's fun, man. Like, you know, you go to, it's just always amazing to be in a city where you could spill out of a concert at like whatever, 1am and you can still go do whatever the heck you want. Any sort of food you want to go grab, it's available to you. You want to go see more music, it's available to you. you like, you want to, you know, want to go out to a bar and stay out to 4am, they're all open, you know? So yeah. it's just like, culturally and the ability to just like have, you know, really kind of choose your own adventure. Like New York is one of a kind in that way. Yeah. And I couldn't agree more, man. That was like my wife and I, I don't think we slept more than two or three hours a night. And then we'd get up and I'm a huge coffee guy. So I just go, I just get up, walk around, check out some different coffee shops. My wife likes to sleep in a little bit, but yeah, it's just so much going on. Again, I just like coming from a relatively small town in Canada to going to New York was like, I felt like I was in a movie. Cause of course, you know, like so many movies you see, 
New York being the, you know, where it's being filmed or that's the place it's at. And so, yeah, it's, it's just a really cool, like magical experience. And then on top of that, you know, I had been living in Texas since 2011. So I hadn't seen like winter wonderland style, yeah. like that, you know, in so long to where like, dude, the lights and like the con, like just the outside vibe with like the, there was snow and yeah, again, it's just, it's such a cool experience, man. So I, I got to give it up and I just have a lot of respect for that. And then granted, you know, it's a funny, it's, it's a single data point that I went to and, and experienced it. But again, I just, I think it's cool, man. What do you think about Brooklyn? Do you, are you familiar with Brooklyn much at all? Yeah, yeah, I am. I, I am familiar with it. And like, you know, I've definitely partied there a couple of times. They got some great, I like to go see when available. I like to go out and, and see, see live music. So they've got, they've got a ton of different places in Brooklyn that are, you know, just solid for just hit, hitting up the music scene. Okay. Brooklyn is absolutely you know, the Austin of New York, it's the hipster vibe, you know, it's, that's where the hipsters go. And they, there's, there's, and hipsters are, you know, of course they, they replicate <laughs> like tribbles in Star Trek. There's, there's more and more hipsters every day, which is, which is fine. <laughs> hipsters like to drink expensive coffee and, and spend and put money back in the economy. It's all good things. That's it, right? <laughs> yeah, that's all. It's awesome. And, and drink, you know, drink expensive beer. So no, no worries, no shade on hipsters, but Brooklyn is very hipster-ish. That's, kind of what it's known for, but you know, like finer foods and like just, you know, it's not like someone would like poo-poo a Starbucks. Of course there's Starbucks in Brooklyn, but the people, people, that's not where they go. You know what yeah. I mean? They're, <laughs> they're, going, they're going somewhere else just to continue the coffee, you know, storyline there. Yeah. No, it's just, it was neat, man. We took those red buses and so we got to sit up on top and we oh, cruised yeah. through Brooklyn and did the whole touristy thing. Again, we were typical tourists, did all the touristy stuff, but Brooklyn really stood out, man. I thought that was really neat. So Brooklyn's fun. I bet you'd love it. It's, it's yeah. Again, it's also younger, right? So it, it's, it trends younger. It's a little bit less expensive. Not that it, not that it's inexpensive because it's not, but it's a little bit less expensive or a little bit more affordable than saying that say living in you know in Manhattan proper. So you get a lot of folks that live in Brooklyn or, or live just like in Northern Jersey, right? So I got you. Then they could take they could take the path and they get there too. It's like Hoboken, New Jersey, beautiful vis- visual skyline. It's kind of like Hoboken and Brooklyn are they're they're pretty darn similar in terms of like who they attract, and then of course those people work work and live in the city. I gotcha. Yeah. One of the things I remember is we went and saw the Statue of Liberty. Obviously you have to do that when you're there. And then my mom was telling me that it's like my grandparents migrated from Europe and they actually stopped. And what's, is it Rikers Island or probably Ellis Island? Ellis Island. Yeah. They actually stopped there and that was their first touchdown in North America. And so, you know, just again, the history and what's all gone on there is, is super fascinating. But anyways, we'll move on. Let's get to what we're probably most of the people here listening want to hear about <laughs> it, is, is oil and gas and top coder and, and what that's all about. So, yeah, I mean, reading through your LinkedIn really doesn't scream oil and gas. So how would you describe the relationship between what you do at top coder, oil and gas, how one complements the other and then like bridge the gap for us a little bit? Yeah, for sure. So I think then definitely you're right. Like I am not in oil and gas, right? And top coder as a company or as a community is not specifically in oil and gas, but that's kind of the beauty of Topcoder. So like Topcoder is, like, we are, it's a global community of technologists, like I was saying you know, earlier, but we also pair that with the technology platform, which what, what it does is it, it enables global 500s, large scale enterprises to be able to come in, in our platform, on our platform and tap unique skill sets for like technology talent. So, you know, that could be anything from like 
people who know React Native or people that are like Salesforce Lightning gurus or people that are data scientists, you know, or data modelers or 3D graphics enthusiasts, right? So there's all sorts of skill sets within Topcoder. But you could, look at, you could look at the community as the ability to kind of like hit a button and then get access to talent that you need on project work. Mm, so yeah. I think the attraction in oil and gas becomes, so we work in all sorts of different industry. However, oil and gas has a couple of, I would call them sincere pain points and some unique things about them, right? So every company says they're going through digital transformation or they're attempting to go through digital transformation. And of course, that's happening in oil and gas for sure. And in oil and gas, you have, you have a lot of like edge technologies. A lot of things are like capital equipment, IOT, you know, just like capital equipment, throwing data off. So, okay, you know, who's going to do that work to do like, who's going to do the, the algorithms against that IOT? Who's going to do the data visualizations or the, the app interfaces or just the, the APIs that call to and from an IOT system that, that's, that a oil and gas wants to do because that's part of their transformation you know, path. That talent is really scarce. And a lot of times, you know, oil and gas companies, they can't hire that kind of talent. It's not that they don't pay well, they'll, they'll pay through the nose for that kind of talent, but that talent's go, very often go into Google, go into Apple, go into Microsoft, go into like, you know, biopharma. The work in oil and gas is, is definitely intriguing. However, I think the, the kind of war on talent is a tough one. It's, it's a difficult one when the talent that they really want heading into startups and heading into the Ubers of the world. Right. However, these are big, you know, logistics and transportation and big, big challenges that oil and gas faces to become digital. So there's a natural gravitational pull where like they need talent. That's what we supply. So we end up with a good amount of oil and gas companies who are doing really cool project level work through what is on-demand talent, like bringing it in when they need it. And then they know where they want to go and then use the talent and get there quicker. So that's kind of the, the attraction and why we see a lot of success in oil and gas. I got you. So do companies, like let's say company you know, X is looking to, and, and again, I, I'm a drilling operations guy. So like, excuse my lack of lingo, but like, let's say I'm a company and I need people to do some coding. Or, or is it kind of like they would reach out to you or, and then say, Hey, like I have this project I want to do that's involves coding. And then you would then like dedicate certain people to that company or, or so how does it? Yeah, no, I could give you the, 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 the how there for sure, Justin. So most companies will use us going back to Starbucks. Most companies will use us kind of like a Starbucks card, right? They, okay. they will, most companies, most of our enterprise companies pay us a, a subscription fee to be part of Topcoder. So they get access oh. like kind of like Costco, if you will, right? Like, Hey, Here's, here's the access. And then we, then we, we will create SOWs for them project by project. So ah, we're, okay. we're not like guaranteeing these four or five, six different people. However, we're like, hey, that project work, here's, the, you know, here's what it's going to cost. Here's the timelines. We also supply any, you know, if they need architects on that, which most IT projects need architects, we put the services layer on there because we're not like a black box to come and crowdsource and you, we're not doing like logo design. It's not like, oh, come get a t-shirt done. Like yeah. we're doing heavy set algorithms and applications and enterprise grade software. So the ways in which software get done, 
on the front end is still traditional. Like, you know, you have to, you have architects, you have, you have services who understand what are you trying to do? And then the work gets disseminated onto our platform and then people pick it up. It's, it's streamed to people with, you know, and then people who have the right skills be like, oh, I know that. I'm going to go, I'll take that tidbit because we break the work up into small units of work and we put it out there. And then people with the right skills will come in, pick up the work, get it done. And then it will get tested, verified. And basically the customers have a lot of protections. They're paying for outcomes. They're paying, they're paying when work gets accomplished and they're like, yep, it's, it hits the mark. It doesn't have bugs. You know, it, 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 all, it checks all the boxes for IP sensitivities. And then they're paying as they get outcomes delivered. So it, it, it like it inverts the entire model. It's like, it's, you know, instead of trying to find that skill set, so it's maybe spending weeks or months trying to locate that skill set, that goes away. Ramping that talent onto your team, like as an FTE, that goes away. And then hoping that person performs all the while, paying them to get up to speed, yeah. that goes away. Instead, it's like, hey, I have this project. It's going gonna, it's gonna to take these skills, go to the crowd, the people come to it and the, the work gets done. And again, they're paying as outcomes stream back to them, which is, I just think it's beneficial. Yeah, no, I, I couldn't agree more with that. So I guess the question I always have and like the disconnect for me is like, if I'm wanting, like, let's just say I own my own drilling fluids company. I've been in the drilling fluids game for a long time. I mean, the way, you know, internally, the way things move are similar to probably a lot of other ones. It's just the name might be different that what we call certain things might be different. But at the end of the day, there, there's a lot of, I guess, similarities. But if I was to say like hire or like look into someone like Top Quarter, to me, it would, it would feel very sluggish to have to like explain my business to someone to help develop, to help them understand how to develop what it is that I need. So like, how does that work? Like, because obviously you have people that don't really understand oil and gas, but I guess, is that not necessary to understand? Like, What's going I mean, on? I think, I mean, I think the, do, the domain is important. So like, you know, I can't sit there and be like, oh, we don't need domain expertise. So you don't need, you know, you don't need SMEs, right? The people who really know this stuff. Right. You absolutely do, right? Like what we do best is we help enterprises get to like a blended workforce. So we're not, Top Coder doesn't come in and supplant or just be like, oh, I don't need to hire anybody. I don't even need full-timers. You know, we're dealing, we work with large-scale enterprises that have, you know, at least 5,000 employees, usually tens of thousands of employees, right? Or sometimes hundreds, whatever. Sure. But those people are absolutely core. Like, we have to understand the business. Why are you doing this for the business? And, yeah. what, and what don't we know yet that we need to know? And when you get down to technology, though, you know, technology is technology, right? So there, yes, there might be some very specific technologies that are, you know, for your world that maybe we don't know. And, and you know what? Maybe Top Coder doesn't do that part. That's, that's okay. Like if we're looking at an entire project, a lot of our customers are like, you know what? This 30% of it, that's not leaving. We want our engineers to do that for whatever reason. Like maybe it's the fun work. Maybe it's the work that they are specialized in. They have the talent or where they feel like their domain's most needed cool. But then there's so many other layers to technology, like how are you going to expose the API? What kind, you know, what kind of SDK is there going to be? What should the visual, the visual interface look like? How, how should that, you know, how should that be? Who's going to test it? Who's going to do the QA? You know, usually engineers who are like your, your banger engineers, they hate doing QA. They want to do the next bit of code and the next yeah. feature, but they don't want to sit there and test it. So there's so many ways that you could look at like, well, what are your individual pain points? And then project by project, 
we just figure it out together. Very often, it's more like it's instead of it being like, hey, top coder, do the entire project. It's going to take six months. Usually, it's more like, okay, top coder, here's the project. Talk with us, which we do. And then let's decide together which percentage top coder is going to do and which percentage our guys and girls are going to do. So we help blend in the workforce of like, let's do your FTEs plus the addition of on-demand talent. And then as a whole, we'll, we'll make sure that, that it's you know, kind of wood glued together and the project works, works well. But as a whole, you can go a heck of a lot faster because you don't, you don't have to go search for those, those, extra, those extra bits that you probably don't have in-house. So I hope that provides some of the clarity. It's like, the SMEs are needed, your domain's super important, and we could split work up to make sure that we're focused on the stuff that we know how to do very, very well, and very often can free up your team to do the things that you know how to do very, very well as well. And then as a unit, it goes faster. So are you able to disclose, like, say, a, a project or something that you've been a part of in oil and gas that maybe people that could relate to like, oh yeah, I use that or, yeah, you know yeah, what I mean? Sure. Yeah, definitely can. So I, I could talk about two specifically. We have several large scale oil and gas companies on our platform right now. And most of them I can't talk about. Two of them I can. One's not oil and gas, one's NASA. We do a lot of work for NASA, but a particular project is we did a suite of algorithms to do pipeline threat detection. So, you know, using geospatial and other like drone photography, so using other visual photography, doing algorithms, computer vision analysis against predictability of what is or what is not a threat. Like, is that a down branch or is that an enemy combatant Jeep? And then figuring out through computer vision, which one's a severe risk or a mild risk or no, no risk at all, like a, a false positive. So that's, so, you know, that's threat, crazy. So yes. Yeah, yeah. So stuff like that, like threat detection and computer vision and AI, all very much in the realm of top coder, which is, you know, a particular one. And then another that I could talk about in good detail is we did Mudlog digitization for, for Anadarko. So before they, before oh. they were acquired. So, you know, Mudlogging, right? You go and you get the slice and you take the, the section of earth out and you got, you know, and then, and then mud loggers sit in their trailers and they taste it and they, they denote, <laughs> you know, li- literally very old school and very, very tactile. And they denote where they think based on the sediment and based on the analysis, where they think you should continue or stop, stop your drilling, right? So yeah. predicting where you should go. So we were able to take that process and able to take like eons worth is an overstatement, but eons worth of data, which was like handwritten data and then digitize that work and then create algorithms against it so that the next mud logs that were coming out, you could use computer vision analysis and you could t- take a photo of the slab of it and spit out the reports, right? So you can start to digitize the process of mud logging. So that kind of work is like, that's super high value work is, I mean, how much more can you gain if you could apply some of these newer techniques to what are, you know, what would traditionally be an older way of saying, how do we do security on pipelines? How do we do, you know, how do we optimize mud logging? Right. Do it through digitization. So those are the types of projects we've done in oil and gas and others that are, I think, super interesting and really allow people to experiment with the crowd and experiment with on-demand talent. Huh. You know, it's, it's crazy that you mentioned the mud logging because I read an article, shoot, probably a year ago that talked and it was right before, I think it was right after, right before, during the transaction of Oxy and Anadarko about how Anadarko hired a team of like 50 data scientists that had really nothing much to do with oil and gas that helped create. And I don't remember hearing top quarter per se, but I do remember them talking about the mud logging analytics capability that took like 
typically two or three weeks worth of work and like crunched it into whether minutes or whatever, like it was substantial, the, the time difference that, you know, that technology had. And I want to say like, I thought I remember hearing something about like some Brazilian like detective or something helped develop some code with that or two. Oh man. So, wow. Your, your memory is pretty awesome, dude. So yeah, that was us. Right. So that was, that was oh, top code. I, I don't know no. the, I don't know the publication you saw it in, but, but yeah. And that Brazilian fella, he's one of our top data scientists. Oh, no way. Okay. I think you pronounce his name like, geez, my community director is going to kill me, but it's like, well, let's, that's like his handle on top coder. But he is a forensic detective. Okay. Yeah. So I'm in okay. Brazil. Yeah. You know, that that's his daytime job. But he uses data analysis and all that jazz. So super. I mean, we're talking like wax pencil type folks, right? You know, like <laughs> like brilliant mind, wax pencil. You know, just people who could look at problems and think of a model differently and then solve it mathematically, which are just top tier, top tier folks. Crazy. Which, and that's what I mean by streaming out to specialists, right? It's like. It'd be very, very hard to find that person. And then you also got to think too, Justin, about like those dudes, those guys and girls, they have different experiences. They're mm. not working in oil and gas. Right. And because of that, they are working in under other industries where they've done things that maybe is not apples to apples, but it's certainly like, you know, pretty darn there's learnings there. They could take what they learned and then apply it in a new way to a new domain that someone who's just in that bubble of that domain would probably never, ever think of trying it that way because it's just not, it's not what they're, they have blinders on, not good or bad. That's just, they're in an industry Yeah, and that's how they see a problem. But yeah, that was, that was our, that was our case study, man. That dude, wow. that dude's a really, really smart individual. That's but that crazy. Was, but that was the project. It's awesome that you got to, to see it. Yeah, no. And actually when I was at Oilcom last year, I got to meet the gentleman who was basically the supervisor over all of that team. I forget what they called like a digitalization team. I met the gentleman who actually was over the whole thing at Anadarko. You know, he was just so interesting to talk to. So yeah, I mean, obviously you guys are, are, have been a part of some major disruption, if you will, you know, in a good way. And so like for you, I mean, would you say for oil and gas, is there low hanging fruit that, that you're trying to, capture or create awareness around two companies to say, Hey, like, have you considered this? Like we really see the opportunity here. Like, is there something that really kind of stands out? I'd say there's probably two areas. Um, and, and, and by the way, the, the gentleman you met was probably, probably most likely Jose Silva. If that Yes, that's it. So Jose's a, he's no longer with Oxy or Anadarko. He's, he's off doing something new, but really, really smart guy and really had the chutzpah to say, we're going to try this and we're going to scale our use of on-demand talent. But he had some great backing. You know, Anadarko had some really, really smart people that were willing to really focus on digitization and they did some really cool things. And to your question, you're asking if there's, you know, kind of low-hanging fruit. I think, yes. I think in oil and gas, there's a couple, a couple that come to mind for me. First and foremost is there's so much data there is so much existing data in oil and gas that could be that could be geospatial that certainly could be just capital equipment data there's so much available and you know top coder or others out there that are in, in the crowdsourcing realm that have data scientists available to them you can do so much with like thinking about just touching stuff that you probably would never ever get a chance to go experiment with and like get 30 50 60 data scientists around a really well-defined problem for you and then getting back their modeling and getting back their algorithms to see which one 
kind of what's a, what's kind of the king of the hill because we'll run them as competitions. So data science on top coder is really intriguing to oil and gas just because there's so much freaking data in oil and gas. The other side is more visual. There is through digitization, there's so many applications that are like, you know, tied to wearables, tied to heads up, you know, heads up things, tied to obviously mobile. So any of the workers who are in the field who need AR, VR, or just, or just simply visualization of like capital equipment data, you know, IoT data streaming off of it, that is kind of a cool low-hanging fruit because it's visual. If you want to get people around something fast, show them some sizzle. You know? Yeah, right. Show, show them like in like 10 days how you could go from, well, we'd like to see some visualization concepts on, you know, whatever, this, this particular mechanism, this, this piece of equipment, and then throw it out to the community. We'll shape it up as, as a challenge and you'll get back eight to 10 to 12 to 15 interpretations from different designers who are like UI UX experts who are thinking through the micro moments for you. They're not all going to hit a home run day one, but it's like iterative. You could iterate with designers and come, you know, within like a 10 day span you can go from, I'd like to have some visualizations to like, holy crap, I've got really refined, if sometimes even code ready design done in like 10 to 14 days, super fast, really gets the ball going. And think about this for a second too, Justin, like, I think some companies might spend four to six months, they might bring in consultants who go out to the field, take notes for months and months and months, and they come back with, with a report like this thick saying, Here's the best thing you could possibly build. And then maybe, maybe it, maybe it gets built, maybe it gets built well, and 18 months later, two years later, your application hits the field. Okay, that's fine, and that's kind of traditional. What if you inverted that? What if you said, wait a second, back to your domain experts. I've got domain experts in the field. They know what they want to see in their applications. They know what, they, what, they would, what would make their life easier. What if I bring them in? to a quick like crowdsourcing like exploration session where they kind of talk about what they'd like to experience and then give that information to the crowd and top coder and let UX experts come back with visualizations and then you iterate. And then with, so instead of spending months to get back a freaking pamphlet this big, you spend a week and a half, two weeks and you get back visualizations you can click through and say, which ones feel right to you? Why? And you can iterate, and you can iterate on, on really micro moments that make the experience very, very dialed in for the domain. One of those seems like stupid to me, like really, really traditional, will take forever and cost you an arm and a leg. And one seems like tapping the crowd in a smart way. So I look at, I, I look at UI UX for oil and gas because there's so many cool things you can do with visualization as a really low hanging proof point and very low risk. You know, oil and gas is still traditional. It's mm -hmm. it is risk averse. All yes. right, run a design challenge. Tip, you know, dip your toes. Run something visual. You know, if it doesn't go the way you want, all right, whatever. Two weeks, you didn't lose much. But if you got something you really love and you're going down the path to creating a breakthrough app, you could, be, you could have a home run with with so little risk. And when is that the case in oil and gas? Yeah, no, that's so true, man. I mean, and I just even think from a personal perspective. On the company that I work with, I mean, yeah, I could already see the opportunity there. So it's something that not a lot of people understand, or at least ones that I run around with. But ultimately, the potential is there, and it sounds like you guys are, you know, have some serious traction. I mean, hell, you're working with NASA, you've worked with Anadarko, and so you know, I encourage anyone out there that is in a position, even just to satisfy curiosity, to reach out and see what you guys, you know, 
can literally come up with anything it sounds like but before we close out i always want to kind of close out with some, some more like personal style questions i mean it's you know we're almost running up an hour here so i want to respect the time so outside of you know you're you're rocking and rolling with top coder you said you have kids so you're busy obviously but do you have any daily habits or routines that contribute to your success and by that like certain things in the morning at night i mean is there anything kind of unique that that really kind of helps keep you driven and motivated to just keep grinding and tackling each challenge as they come what does that look like? Yeah, I think there's a couple of things. Like number one, like, I mean, this might not sound like a habit, but I, I think I would put it in there that I listen to a ton of podcasts, right? And so I used to read a lot and now I just don't. You might, you might be like, well, that's bad for you, but I don't think it is. I think it's, you know, a podcast we were talking about earlier, they cater to the niche, right? So you could really dive into things that either you love already or things you want to understand more deeply. So I listen to a wide, wide variety of different types of podcasts that are some of them general information, some of them just kind of like cool history, some of them technology or, or like or business pods, and then a bunch of sports pods as well. So where my kids are like 90% YouTube, I'm probably like 90% podcasts in terms of like my, my media consumption. And that might not sound like a habit, but really for me, it's, it's been very useful just to stay like to stay sharp, to stay up to date, and yeah. to really understand a wider perspective, but also more deeply on topics, which for me in business serves, serves me well. So I can walk into a lot of conversations and wherever the ball may bounce, I probably have something interesting to contribute or at least like a side quill, you know, like a plinko chip will hit something like, oh, well, I could tie this back to, to this thing in, in a fun way. And that serves you well in business if you could have natural conversations and listen well. So I think, I think it sharpens my listening and it also sharpens my ability to have more meaningful business conversations and more fun conversations. So that's, that's one. I'd say the other thing is, my wife is a fitness instructor, so that's what she does for a living, which is cool. So she definitely helps. I'm not in amazing shape. However, you know, she helps to keep me on point. So if I start to yep. weeble when I shouldn't wobble, she'll be like, hey, you know, you really ought to cut back here and, and, and you know, work out a bit more. So many, <laughs> nice. yeah, many mornings a week, I'm actually like, we have like a little downstairs gym. Cool. Just on the opposite here. So I do a good amount of workouts where I take advantage of the fact that she's a certified trainer and she can help me do those things. So I think those are huge because, you know, at the end of it, like you've got to be physically and mentally in it. And we're all working from home. I've worked from home for 10 years, but I don't oh, get wow. my, tra I don't get to travel anymore right, right now, right? There is no business trip. There is no relief. There's no, it, you're just home. So staying sharp and trying to stay fit and trying to achieve that way, I think is just a habit that I think is super, super important. And besides that, I'll, I will say hobby wise, I love music. So I play guitar. Oh, good for you, man. Play guitar for a lot of years. So my, one kid plays piano, one kid sings. So there's always okay. music on some, in some way in the house too, which I think is just one of the beauties of Alexa, which I'm sure she's going to chirp at me in a second. But <laughs> I think the best beauty of having things you could talk to is that music is perpetually on if you want it to be. And I think that's a, a good thing for humans in general. Yeah, I'm with you on that, man. I mean, I love music. My whole family does. My daughter, we're, she's always dancing and goofing off. And then, you know, from a fitness perspective, yeah, that's really been my vocation since, I mean, growing up, I played high school sports. And so I've always been super interested in just like, like human performance more than anything, like what we're capable from, you know, a physical standpoint and then how that ties into just overall health. I mean, and, and then that comes into nutrition and fueling your body and, and being, you know, mentally fit, physically fit, emotionally fit. I think it all ties in together. And so like, if you're trying to perform 
on like the highest level possible, I think you need to hit on all of it. Like it's just like a Ferrari. If you want to be the fastest car on the road, you can't be feeling it with crap and, and not servicing it. And it's, it's our, like our bodies, man. And so I always find it interesting, you know, for people, you know, that are high performers that really focus on sleep, nutrition, fitness. And that doesn't mean beating yourself up in the gym five days a week. It might only like for me right now, it's only three days a week, but it's, it's enough to kind of still keep me, you know, where I need to be. And, you know, unfortunately time just doesn't allow for me to go back to six days a week. But at the end of the day, I have a lot of respect for folks like yourself who really take that stuff serious. Cause I think it, I think it shows in, in just the overall performance of you and what you do in business. So I applaud you, man. One last thing, you know, and, and actually you kind of already answered. I was going to ask you what's one thing that not many people know about, which, you know, you said you played guitar. Do you have anything else that's kind of unique that like even maybe some of your friends or people you work with are not familiar with? I mean, any- oh, yeah, I'll give some love to my brother. How about this? So my, yeah, okay. uh, which is not about me, but this is totally unique. My brother is named Scotty Bonner. He's a broadcaster. He's an announcer. Like he calls, okay. hockey, he calls hockey games for a living. So oh, like, yeah. He's in Chesapeake, Virginia right now calling a U10 through U16 tournament where like he gets booked to go down there and call no hockey. So hockey is his passion. I love hockey too. Nice. And you know, I know that's not me per se, but I mean, my brother's a play-by-play broadcaster and, that, hey. and, he's, and he's making his living following his passion, which I think is like such a cool 2020 vibe. Well, and you know, it falls back on, I think people need to start focusing on chasing happiness rather than chasing money. And ultimately the byproduct will be to hopefully financially support yourself. And so good for your brother, man. That's cool. Well, look, it's been an absolute pleasure, man. There's a few house cleaning things I want to mention for the audience out there. I want to take a moment to tell everyone about our upcoming OGGN events. Hey, everybody. It's Savannah from OGGN, and here are the events on deck for October 2020. We've got about five events this month, three of which are online, one of which is in person, and one of which is both. First up, we have the Houston Energy Breakfast virtual conference on the 6th, which is about embracing the evolving market landscape, and that'll be online. Second, we have Adipec 2020, which is an interactive online event going on from the 9th to the 12th. Third, we have OGGN and API Houston Chapter Presents, the opening of the Deep Cavango Basin, which will be live streamed directly to LinkedIn and other platforms from the event in downtown Houston on the 10th. Fourth, we have the Energy API 3-Gun Challenge on the 13th, which is in person at the Ranch Shooting Club in Eagle Lake, Texas. Last, we have the Downstream Leadership Forum, which will be our last event of the month from the 19th to the 20th, and that'll be online. Other than these events, I believe OGGN will be hosting some live streams this month, so make sure to check out our Facebook, LinkedIn, or our website for more information about any of the live streams we have coming up. That's all for November. I hope you guys have a great month, and thanks for tuning in. Awesome. Thanks. And speaking of hockey, anyone out there in the Houston area interested in playing oil field hockey, come join the Hack and Whack crew for some old timer hockey. We do it every two weeks at Memorial City Mall Ice Rink. Hit me up on LinkedIn for more details. Clinton, thanks so much for joining me today. It's been a great conversation, man. I think we, we touched on a lot of different aspects of life and it's just been fun, man, at the end of the day. And I think, <laughs> I think you really shine some really interesting light on a subject that I'm not too familiar with. So I appreciate that. What's the best way for people to reach out to get to know more, whether it's about yourself and what you do or Top Coder? I mean, what's the best platform to hit you up on? Yeah, no doubt. So I mean, topcoder.com is definitely the best for anybody who wants to know more about Top Coder. That, that's it. Go there. And then for me personally, LinkedIn from a professional standpoint, just Clinton Bonner. And okay. if you want if you want sports takes and food takes and, and things like that, some music takes, then Twitter at Clinton Bon is great for the more social side of me for sure. That's cool, man. I love how you're, you dabble in it all, man. Well, cool, man. 
Any other closing last words for the audience before we close out, man? Yeah, go Isles. There you go. Okay. <laughs> well, everyone out there, always remember when the density's up and the gas is down, open the choke. Let's go to town. Thanks, everybody. Thanks again for listening. Tune in next week for another episode of Oil & Gas Onshore, a production of Oil & Gas Global Network. For more information, visit OGGN.com.